Welcome back to the Flathead Beacon Podcast for the first time in 2023. I'm your host, Micah Drew, recording from the beautiful Flathead Valley. It's Friday, February 3rd. The 68th Montana Legislature is in session, planning out the next biennial budget and working dozens of bills through the House and Senate chambers each week. My colleagues Mike Cordenbrock, Maggie Dresser, and Denali Sagner, along with myself and the other members of the newsroom, have been hard at work tracking various bills throughout this legislative cycle, even though we're only 25 days into it. Each of those reporters is going to come spend a little bit of time on the podcast recapping what they've been doing to report on this session and give us some key updates that may have developed since we last checked in with them in their print and online work. Before we get to all those chats, however, a quick reminder that this podcast is sponsored in part by members of the Flathead Beacon Editors Club. Members support all of our journalism in all of its forms, in print, online, and here in the podcast studio, and they do so for as little as $5 per month. Plus, they get some extra perks too. We're just getting ready to relaunch the Editors Club website with even more ways to interact with the Flathead Beacon. To find out more or join today, visit beaconeditorsclub.com. Hi. How's it going? Good. So you've really thrown yourself into the legislative coverage this January, and you've done some really awesome reporting on a whole range of issues. Where do you want to start in on things that you've covered? Sure. So I've covered a couple bills this session that are moving through the legislature. Probably the bill that has received the most press recently has been Senate Bill 99, which was introduced by Kalispell legislator John Fuller, which is a bill in regards to gender affirming care for transgender Mm. minors, which has been a pretty kind of hot button issue in the state recently. Fuller's bill recently passed Senate Judiciary Committee um, after facing a lot of pushback from medical providers and parents and transgender Montanans. Let's let's focus on that for a quick second. It sounds like there were a lot of proponents and opponents in that hearing. Can you summarize some of the main arguments made on both sides? Yeah, absolutely. So it was one of the longer hearings I've watched. Um, I think it was about five hours long. <laughs> proponents included um, a couple of lobbyists from uh, kind of conservative political organizations, both in Montana and out of state, a lot of individuals who express concern about the idea of offering kind of gender affirming care, hormonal treatment and surgeries to minors who a lot of these proponents of the bill expressed are not old enough, developed enough to make these decisions. Mm. And there was also a lot of controversial rhetoric around, you know, the LGBTQ community and what it means for children to be making those decisions in consultation with adults. And, you know, opponents were a little bit more wide ranging. Um, I think there are about two opponents for every proponent um, Mm. to the bill during the hearing. A bunch of medical associations in Montana, the Montana chapter of the American Association of Pediatrics, the ACLU of Montana, the largest public employee union in the state of Montana all spoke out against the bill. A lot of medical providers emphasized that the care that is given to transgender minors is usually temporary, reversible, things like puberty blockers, which have become these kind of hot button topics Mm. when discussing this issue, are actually things that pause puberty. They don't do any 
as far as doctors are concerned, permanent damage. And a lot of, you know, medical providers really emphasize that this legislation would get in the way of the doctor-patient relationship, would make it a lot harder for doctors to do their jobs. And in addition, a lot of parents of transgender children spoke, transgender Montanans, uh, Representative Zoe Zephyr, who's uh, the first transgender legislator in the Montana State Legislature, spoke about her experience after transitioning. It was a very powerful hearing. And Ultimately, uh, the bill did pass the Judiciary Committee uh, with an amendment that actually added even stricter definitions Mm -hmm. of uh, male and female and really kind of doubled down on uh, what the bill would not allow, which includes a lot of measures that state employees would not be allowed to suggest social transitioning as options for children, including changing their name and their pronouns, that public funding would not be allowed to be used for any sort of transitioning for minors and just that that care um, on a baseline level would be banned throughout so this, the state. So this amendment really broadened broadened the impact of this bill? Um, I, I'm not sure it really broadened what the bill would do, but it certainly really doubled down on the language using very specific definitions of what male and female mean, You know, really outlining a bunch of specific procedures that would be banned under it, which I think really kind of speaks to maybe a larger motivation behind bills like this from some of the more conservative legislators in the state. So that passed through committee. Do we have a a scheduled House floor hearing yet? The bill passed through committee and we don't have another hearing scheduled for it yet. Okay. Well, I'm sure you'll keep us uh, up to date on everything that is coming forward on that uh, SB 99. Let's move on to another bill brought forth by one of our local Flathead Valley legislators, HB 213, brought by Braxton Mitchell out of Columbia Falls. Talk us through this one. Yeah. So House Bill 213 um, was a bill, again, brought by a Columbia Falls legislator that would provide for optional optional commemorative certificates of non-viable birth for parents who've experienced a failed pregnancy. Mm. Similar legislation has been passed in other states. During the committee hearing on this bill, there was a lot of discussion about giving parents closure, allowing them to you know, commemorate children that they may have lost. And, you know, not, I think someone in the hearing said, not just let those children be kind of a a page in family history. The bill passed through the House Judiciary Committee, but not without some conflict and and some pretty contentious um, participants in the hearing on the bill. The bill had a couple sections. Section one provided for that optional commemorative certificate for families. Uh, But section three of the bill, which uh, Mitchell actually decided to remove before uh, it continued to pass through the legislature, would have mandated that doctors and parents report all failed pregnancies to the state Mm -hmm. of Montana. And, you know, this kind of rose a lot of issues surrounding uh, patient doctor confidentiality and privacy rights in Montana. And, you know, Privacy rights and freedom from government are definitely things that are that are pretty wide, you know, reaching concerns here. So there were a lot of questions about that during the hearing, and and some participants, opponents of the bill, actually tied Mitchell's bill to LR one thirty one, uh, the failed ballot measure that voters rejected during the election in November that would have imposed criminal penalties on medical providers who did not do everything they could to revive a born alive infant. Um, And, you know, this has kind of been tied up in what I think a lot of pro-choice activists in Montana see as a fight for the future of abortion in the state in this kind of murky um, political environment for abortion. But Mitchell removed Section 3 from the bill that would have created that mandated reporting statute. And now the 
bill is actually scheduled for a third reading. And there are some amendments to the bill, including, you know, those commemorative certificates were originally going to be public record. Now they're going to be private record and not public. And another concern that was brought up by parties like the ACLU of Montana that this information could be used in criminal or civil litigation. There's a statute now in that bill as it's going through the legislature that says that even if parents file for this birth certificate, that it could not be used in a civil litigation or criminal litigation, which, again, I think was another concern for abortion rights activists in the state who saw it as a way for kind of lining up eventual criminalization of abortion and, and miscarriages and things like that. Well, that's some really great insight just into the process that these bills go through. Being introduced into one of the two chambers, they go through changes just in committee, they go through amendment processes, they get to the House floor, more amendments. Uh, If it passes this third reading, it will be sent over to the Senate. You'll keep us appraised of what's going on there. Last but not least, HB 79 is the other one that you reported on. Give us the rundown there. So HB 79 is a bill introduced by another one of our flathead legislators, uh, Amy Regeer, and this bill uh, is in regards to the sexual assault response um, kind of network and uh, laws that exist in the state of Montana. House Bill 79 is super interesting. Currently, Montana's sexual assault testing services are grant funded through a program called SACI, which is the National Sexual Assault Kit Initiative, which mm-hmm. is um, kind of a federal grant program that has to be funded over certain cycles. It's not permanent. It's not institutionalized in the state of Montana. So House Bill 79 would kind of bring SACI into Montana's own laws, would create kind of a home grown program Mm. um, for the testing and the filing of sexual assault kits. There were a couple of other uh, measures in the bill that were super interesting as well. The legislation would create a sexual assault response team committee in the state of Montana, which would involve law enforcement and medical providers and survivor advocates um, that would kind of come together and think about how the state wants to move forward in processing these cases. And it would also, the another thing that was um, kind of emphasized by proponents of the bill in its first hearing is that it would kind of set up a future where Montana can bolster its use of this program called Telesane, which SANE is sexual assault nurse examiners. Um, they're nurses that are trained to provide exams to uh, survivors of sexual violence. Telesane is a program that allows nurses and medical providers in rural communities to partner kind of via video chat with Mm -hmm. registered providers in other places so that those exams are more accessible to rural uh, victims of sexual violence. Something that came up in the hearing is that a lot of times for rural doctors in Montana, they have to send patients multiple hours away after, you know, coming in to receive a sexual assault exam, which can be very difficult for a lot of people. Um, So that passed in the House and there's actually a hearing in the Senate today for that bill. Well, Denali, your reporting on all of these has been really great, very thorough. We're looking forward to continued reporting on the upcoming months and weeks in the legislature. We have a long ways to go, but thank you for uh, sharing all those updates. Thanks, Micah. Hi, Micah. You reported this month on two issues related to the upcoming biennial budget related to Medicaid, one dealing with nursing home reimbursements from Medicaid, and one that increases barriers to abortion access. Can you take us through both of those, first starting with what's going on with nursing home reimbursements? 
Yeah, so nursing home reimbursement rates have always been pretty low. Um, the current rate is $212 a day they get reimbursed for. And that's just not enough to cover operating costs. What are daily operating costs? Um, I didn't get an exact number. It's around 300 I believe. So they're losing money and costs have gone up a lot in the last couple of years. And the reimbursement rate is just not covering that. 11 nursing homes closed last mm. year because they, they just aren't able to stay afloat. So currently, operators are drafting legislation or they're asking for legislation that will raise the reimbursement rate to the recommended rate, which was part of a study that was commissioned last year. And they found that $278 would be the recommended amount. And that's not even covering like last year's inflation. And so what that, is what did the study say that covers? Is that 60%, 70%, 80%? How much of a, a daily rate is that supposed to cover in theory? Um, they didn't really specify, but yeah. um, nursing home operators say that's still not enough. But mm. that's just what they're asking for because they know they're not going to get more than that. So the proposed rate in the governor's budget is 249. So that's below. And that was even proposed after that study was released. So they're asking for that, which they probably won't get. But there are other legislation that's being drafted right now. Um, they're asking for to require regular inflationary adjustments. Mm. Um, and they're also asking for short term funding just to get through the next fiscal year so that hopefully more don't close down. So the adjustments for inflation, that would just be some kind of formula that would automatically go into effect, adjusting those rates, each budget based on inflation rates? And that's the general gist. It's mm. still like being drafted. So they weren't able to tell me the exact formula or anything like that. But that's kind of the gist. So that'll be moving through the legislature as we get through this uh, budget process. And you'll give us some more updates on that as we go forward. Let's pivot to the other Medicaid-focused issue, which has to do with abortion access. Talk us through that one. Yeah, so the Montana Department of Health and Human Services, they are proposing an amendment that will basically not allow Medicaid recipients to have their abortions covered with Medicaid. Mm. There's only a few circumstances that will allow that. And one is... If they well, first they'd have to go through like a pre-authorization, which is just time delaying and not necessary. And several physicians have testified through in hearings that that's not necessary, and it's just going to delay care and ultimately make an abortion more expensive because mm. as time goes on, it requires more expensive interventions. And then the other thing they are trying to limit is they don't want advanced practice registered nurses to provide abortions so that they won't cover that. And that's a big deal, for especially up here because of the one abortion provider we have in the flathead is a nurse practitioner. So she would not be able to provide abortions for Medicaid recipients, which is more than half of her patients. So that's a yeah, this is affecting vast numbers of Montanans, not only in rural places across the state, but specifically here, you said half of the patients that have utilized the only clinic we have use Medicaid. So that would be a huge barrier for a lot of these people. Yeah. Um, and I spoke to Helen Weems. Mm. She's the provider at All Families and Whitefish. And she said she's going to keep providing abortions, mm. but she just won't be able to use Medicaid. So ultimately, like 
they're going to have to find funding elsewhere and she's going to have to just rely on donations. And she said that's going to cost the clinic. Like they're just no longer going to be able to bring in as much funding to keep to keep their doors open. Do you have any sense on how likely this amendment is to pass? Um, well, it's up to DPHHS. Like they will decide mm. and they're probably going to finalize it, but they, and once they do final finalize it, it'll be effective immediately, but they have not okay. specified when it will be finalized. Well, we'll look forward to another update uh, from you as that comes out, but thanks for that little wrap up. Thanks, Micah. <laughs> Hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. How's it going? It's going good. Uh, You are bringing us one of the bills that you reported on this month, SB 142, brought by one of our local legislators. Do you want to talk us through the initial bill as you reported it? Sure. I'll do my best. (laughs) Obviously, there's a lot of complicated uh, caveats and language in some of these proposed bills, Mm -hmm. but you know, I will I will walk you through it as best I can here. So yeah, it's Senator Keith Regeer's bill, SB 142. Um, sort of short title is to provide oversight of local impact fee laws. And so, I think just to start off, it it would be helpful. You know, impact fees are fees that municipalities or county governments will charge to developers in anticipation of additional costs to the local government mm. for services, including infrastructure or things like sewage, water, that kind of thing. So these are charged to any developer who comes in to make a subdivision or um, structure downtown or anything like that. Or, or even a, a home, yeah. Okay. And and they're not charged automatically. Governments mm-hmm. make this decision. And uh, some of the opponents of this bill, you know, they talked about how impact fees are, in their eyes, important because they see it as offsetting future costs to taxpayers. So you want to build, it's going to increase demand on our services. So we're going to ask you to pay a fee one time. And then from there on out, you know, your taxes are what they are. That's sort of a rough idea of what an impact Mm -hmm. fee is. And so this bill is designed to put limitations on how high of an impact fee they can charge. In what circumstances they can charge? Yeah, it's not, doesn't focus on the cost of the impact fee. It's mm. more the circumstances under which, which it's appropriate and what it can be used for. Okay. Um, but the biggest part of this bill, I would say, in its initial form, because we'll get into it, but there have been some amendments, mm-hmm. um, is that it would basically put the Montana Department of Commerce, uh, it, it would task that government office with enforcing laws as they relate to impact fees and also, you know, essentially being the entity that tries to ensure that that local governments are in compliance with the law and can, you know, take action against them if they aren't. Okay. And so that would require the Department of Commerce to I mean, it, it would it would add an increased budgetary cost. Mm. And so there's a fiscal note attached to this bill, which estimated that between 2024 and 2027, the cost of this bill would reach around an estimated $483,000 to the state. 
So that's over the span of those years. Mm -hmm. Most of the costs around $200,000 would come in the initial 2024 fiscal year. I was just attributed to additional costs of sort of starting this up. Uh, but additional employees would need to be hired or paid to ensure this that this is functional aspect of, of the Department of Commerce. It seems like this additional oversight is running counter to a lot of the, the actions taken by the legislature this season. It seems like they seem to be in favor of removing some oversight and red tape. This seems to be uh, kind of running counter to that. Yeah, I mean, I... I mean, I guess what I would say is is I, I can't really speak with great confidence to the bigger picture. There's so many moving pieces right now. Um, but I do know that there are certainly, you know, we've heard it locally. There are concerns that local control, local government is being scrutinized, being uh, being affected by some of the bills mm. um, and, and other things that are happening in this session. and. Uh, you know, obviously, we have a local legislator who brought this forward. Mm -hmm. um, you know, another local connection is that this is being driven by whitefish residents who remain upset over uh, overcharged impact fees that were mm. uh, discovered in the city of Whitefish, and and so this goes back to. I mean, these impact fees were passed by the Whitefish City Council in 2018. They became effective in 2019. But the city's been charging these fees since 2007. So the program's been in place for a while. But you know, basically, it's, it was discovered that, that some of these you know, 2018 fee changes, they were overcharging people. Okay. And so you know, February of 2022, Whitefish City Manager Dana Smith told the city that you know, they'd be issuing... $196,000 in refunds oh, wow. to affected folks. Uh, she estimated the average would be between $700 and $850 per. But there are trio of whitefish residents who um, were involved in the drafting of this bill, Paul Gilman, Bill Halma, Bill Berg. Uh, they've been pretty critical of the city. They, they feel like, I think they feel like there's not enough recourse for people in situations where they have been overcharged. Mm. So, so that part of the motive in bringing this bill forward, Senator Keith Regeer mentioned in a recent Senate hearing on this, say, for example, somebody is charged, you know, $4,000 for an impact fee and, and they were improperly charged and they want to dispute it. He sees this as a situation where because their only real action if the city or county disputes this is to you know, take legal action. Mm. It's maybe going to be a net loss for people or it's prohibitively expensive. Okay. Um, so this might create an avenue for that process to go forward a little bit easier on the side. Yeah, of the consumer. I, I think, you know, the bill has changed quite a bit since its initial draft, but, but it continues to offer, I guess, more recourse for folks who have take issue with the amount they were charged in fees. You know, the other thing that, that remains a part of the of the bill is just sort of a tightening of what impact fees can be used for. Mm. There's language in there that, you know, it's got to be sort of associated with things identified in, in service area reports. So, mm. so, you know, again, people who are 
some of the folks who are critical of impact fees are, are sort of suggesting that governments aren't aren't using them for the right things. And so the opponents of this bill, um, I mean, you've got the city of Whitefish, you've got representatives. This is just in sort of the initial hearing. I mean, you had the mayor, deputy mayor, and city manager of Belgrade in Gallatin County. Okay. So they came out in force. Uh, Cascade County Commissioner Joe Briggs. You had representatives for the cities of Missoula, Billings, Bozeman. Uh, Butte Silverbow also sent somebody there. Uh, the Montana League of Cities and Towns also spoke out against this. So you mentioned that there were a lot of changes and amendments to this bill. It, mm-hmm. Does it seem like these opponents uh, got some of what they wanted taken out of the bill? Yeah, but I mean, they're, they're still not happy with okay. it, I don't think, um, because they they feel like it's, it's an attack on local control. Mm-hmm. It's an attack on their ability as the ability of local governments to manage things and carry out their duties in the way that they feel is appropriate. You know, so, so, but the biggest thing that, you know, has changed from the initial version of this bill to the one that was passed on party lines out of the Senate Mm. um, in late January is that the entire concept of the Department of Commerce staffing up and, you know, providing enforcement and oversight and reviewing documentation and paperwork related to impact fees, these these sort of new requirements that were proposed, that's been cut out. Oh, wow. And so this came up in the discussion before the bill was passed out of the the Senate because there's there's no updated fiscal note yet. Mm. But Republican Senator Friedel, who was you know responding to that question, I mean, he said that this amendment would eliminate all the full-time employees, and so, but there's no new fiscal note yet. Mm. So there was one requested, but you know, Senator Friedel essentially said it's it's would cut the costs out that you see in that original fiscal note. So as of right now, the bill has passed through the Senate, is working way its way through the House now. And uh, I'm sure you'll stay tuned to what's going on there and give us some more updates. Absolutely. Yeah. No. Uh, next stop is, uh, I believe, is the House. So we'll see where it goes from there. It's it's an interesting, uh, certainly an interesting situation. It's I think some of this can maybe sound a little bit technical. Um, certainly sounds that way to me <laughs> sometimes. Well, we appreciate you taking the time to distill it down both uh, in your reporting that can be viewed online, but also here and, and giving us these updates. And uh, I'm sure you'll bring uh, just as good of a lens through all of that uh, jargon to the next couple bills that are coming up this next month. Well, I hope so. I appreciate the vote of confidence, Micah. A big thank you to Mike, Maggie, and Denali for taking the time to chat with me on the Flathead Beacon podcast today and bring you all the latest updates from the legislature in Helena. That's all that I've got for you today. As always, you can stay up to date on all the latest local news online at flatheadbeacon.com. And if you haven't already, be sure to pick up a hard copy of the Flathead Beacon on stand throughout the Flathead Valley. This episode of the Flathead Beacon podcast was host, edited, mixed, and produced by me, Micah Drew. Music in this episode includes songs by local Flathead Valley artist, Mike Murray, who's kind enough to let us use them. 
That's the show for the week. Thanks for listening.